My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here. Today we're in our third week of this series, Greater Love, talking about the different kinds of love that we find in the Bible. And so what I want to do today is I want to begin by looking at some famous friendships, movie friendships, so they're not real, right? But um, And I want to ask you to vote with me for a second on which one you think is the greatest friendship of those four. And there's a million others I could have chosen, but looking at these four, uh, we're going to do this scientifically, right? I'm just going to say, and you raise your hand. So which one of you thinks that the, the greatest friendship was Lloyd and Harry? All right, so pretty good, huh? Okay, all right. How about Frodo and Sam? Any takers for Frodo and Sam? Okay. Uh, Buzz and Woody, they, were, they made it big in the early, first, early service with all the kids. How about Thelma and Louise? Any takers there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Eric's checking that out. The reason I'm asking this question today is because we are talking about friendship, and the way you answer the question might reveal something about what your definition of a significant, meaningful friendship really is. Okay, so in this series, we're talking about different kinds of love that are described in the Bible, right? And we've talked about um, eros love, agape love. Agape is sacrificial love. Eros is sensual or romantic love. And the problem is in the English language, we only have one word that covers all of these different nuances and definitions about love. So when we talk about love, it can be kind of confusing in English. What, are we, what kind are we really talking about? How are we really meaning that? And so what I want to do is to take that conversation one more step and introduce a third word in the original Greek New Testament language, a third word that describes another dimension of love for us together today. And we're talking about what we're called, the word is philia, philia type of love, okay? Now, if that sounds a little bit familiar to you, it could be because in our English language, we use that word you know, to help us form other words. So, uh, for example, philosophy is the love of wisdom. Philanthropy is the love of humanity. Uh, philharmonic is the love of beautiful music. Okay, so this is the kind of love when you think, man, I love my family. I love my team. I love the people in my small group. I love my friends. And today what I want to do is I want to show you the, the significance of this third kind of love and how it really fills an important gap between agape and eros. It fills this space in a, diff a different part of our relational life. And especially I want you to see how important filial love is as a foundation for deep and lasting, meaningful relationships, friendships, I should say, in our lives, for friendships in our lives. Because if you look at our culture today, you know, friendship seems to be somewhat of a lost art. Uh, the numbers say that more and more people in America are living isolated lives, remote from any relationships. And you know, social media has taken the idea of a friend and completely changed well, what that even means. And you look at our culture, you see a lot of people are interested in relationships only for what I can get out of it. It's very utilitarian. And other people are interested in relationships only if there's a romantic piece. And if it's not romantic, it doesn't really count for anything. And so I think friendship has been undervalued in our society today. So what we're going to see is that, that all of us really need the kind of friendships that are defined by this, 
word philia, if we want to really thrive and prosper in our life, in our faith together. So first I'm going to give you a definition, kind of understand more about what the word means, and then we're going to look at two ways that it gets applied in the New Testament to our lives as Christians. Okay, so number one, philia is an affection toward others that grows beyond a good feeling and becomes a mutual commitment. If you take, let's, so let's describe this a little bit. Try to understand it for a minute. If you take that word, philia, it's a noun in New Testament Greek, and you look at the other words related to it, adjectives, verbs, stuff like that, whole word group, what it's talking about is friendship. It's the kind of friendship that you just like somebody. You have an affection toward them. Uh, you care about them. You have some affinity together. You have you know, things in their life that, that uh, connect with your life. That, that's the way the word is used. And it's translated into the English Bible, sometimes by the word love and sometimes by the word friendship, because that's the overlap between these two concepts. It's, a, it's the kind of friendship that's built on this kind of, of love. It's a deeper kind of friendship. And the best illustration I could find of that is in the Bible is actually from the life of Jesus himself. In John chapter 11, the word is used twice in ways that really help us understand what it's talking about. And so in John chapter 11, it says a man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. See, that's how it's translated in that, dear friend. And so Jesus had uh, this close relationship with this one family in particular, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, three siblings. And when Lazarus became ill, the sisters sent Jesus a message, not on the basis of his ministry or not because of, you know, he was a, a well-known healer, but they appealed to him on the basis of friendship. They reached out to him as someone who had a deep, close relationship with their brother Lazarus. Now, Jesus came, but by the time he got there, Lazarus had already died. And so later on in the chapter, Jesus asks to be taken to the place where Lazarus' body had been, had been placed. And there you see down in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept, and the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Now there's a lot more going on in this chapter. I'll leave that to you to read for yourself. But I'm illustrating here the idea that that. This is a friendship that's more than just a casual acquaintance. It's more than just a colleague. But there's this depth of emotion and devotion to it that Jesus loved him. He was a deep friend to him so that when Lazarus was gone, Jesus himself wept over that. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about here. So with that background in mind, let's look at quickly at just six bullet points, six quick characteristics that define this kind of love. These are based on the way the word is used in the ancient Greek language that, has, that the idea has then been handed down to us. So, so six characteristics. Number one, it's based on a common identity or experience. Identity is the sense of who you are, right? And so... We all have this identity that's maybe based on where we grew up, or it could be based on, to some extent, on you know, what school you went to, or, or other factors that shape your life. So let's, let me give you an example. Let's say you're from the city of Philadelphia. Now, because I picked that because Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. You see the Phil, the philia in there. 
So if you're from Philly, then you have a shared experience with a lot of other people from Philadelphia. You have a, you know, kind of maybe a certain attitude, maybe a certain culture, maybe certain ways of doing things. That's true wherever you might be from. And so you meet someone from your hometown, or you meet someone who went to the same school you went to, and often you have an immediate bond with them. There's a bond of common identity, okay? And so it could also be uh, common experiences that you've been through together. So let's say you played on a team together with somebody else. You have a bond with the people on that team. Or you were, went through a project at work together with those people. Or in your neighborhood, you all got together and, and, and uh, cut up trees that fell down in a storm, right? You have this bond that's built out of that. You, you, maybe you never friends before, but now you're friends now because of you have that, that common experience or that common identity, Now, the second thing about this word is that it describes people who are fond of or admire or appreciate each other. It's that time when somebody you haven't seen in a while walks in the room and you you immediately smile. You just light up. You're so glad to see that person. That's the word that we're talking about here. Now, Jesus in the New Testament tells us to love our enemy, right? But he uses a different word than this. He uses the word agape, meaning we're willing to make a commitment, a sacrifice for people even, even if they don't like us. But, but that, he didn't use this word that means we don't have to like our enemy. We don't have to have affection toward our enemy. But this word describes a person that you do have that kind of connection and affinity and, and uh, desire or love toward. And then we see also that it's mutual. In other words, it's a two-way street. It's a give and take. You, you never can say biblically that, oh, he's my friend, but I'm not his friend. Friends are reciprocal. Now, with agape love, you can make a sacrifice for someone who never returns a sacrifice to you. With romantic love, you can be in love with someone who doesn't even notice that you exist. But with philia type of love, there has to be two parties who are in it together, okay? And then the fourth thing about this kind of love is that it's intentional. That, yeah, it might start with just, you know, some kind of a fondness that you have for another person, but it grows as you invest in it. And you've seen, right, how many people, the friendships just drift apart over the years because there hasn't been an intentionality or an investment that's put into it. And so it's not the same kind of I'll die for you commitment that agape love represents, but it's the kind of thing that when you put something into it, it flourishes and it grows. And then uh, the next thing about it is that it promotes well-being. In other words, you have two people who care about each other's benefit and each other's well-being. And then finally, that it survives trials. This is the kind of love that if you make it through the other side of a crisis, then you're stronger than you were before. Right, And so we're going to touch on some of these things later, but I wanted to give you a sense of the kind of thing we're talking about when we talk about philia love, and you can see how it's different from agape love, from eros love, and it fills in a kind of a gap between the other two. Now, there are two primary ways that philia love is expressed in the Christian life, and I want to talk about first one, then the other. First, it, it's the way that all Christians are called to treat each other, no matter how well we know each other. But then secondly, on another level, it's the basis for deep and lasting friendships. And we'll talk about both of those. Let's talk about first um, 
that Christians are marked by this kind of love for each other that's rooted what? And it's rooted in our shared identity and experience in Christ, and it transcends anything that we have in common with anybody else or any other thing that we have in common with each other. So he said that at the heart of this word is this sort of this shared identity, shared experience. And as Christ's followers, our identity is defined more significantly than any other way by our relationship with Jesus. That we are now followers of Christ. We're sons and daughters of him. We're children of eternity. And so that defines who we are. And we have this shared experience of having our sins forgiven because we trusted in Christ alone and turned from our self-directed way of life. And that, that creates this bond between us that transcends any other bond that we have in the world. It's far deeper and more important than what school we went to or what team we root for, right? It's a bond that far transcends anything like our, what, what generation, you know, you're younger, I'm older, or what a gender we are, or it far transcends what our ethnicity is, or our cultural background, or our politics might be, our identity in Christ. Now, here's a couple ways. I just want to make sure you don't miss this, so let me show it to you in a couple of verses in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, he says, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Now, the word he's using here is not the word agape. He's using filial love. He's talking about this common bond that we have together with all other Christians. And as he's commending them for the love they have for all the believers in all of Macedonia, what caught my attention there was that these people living in these different villages throughout Macedonia, there's no way that they could have had a personal knowledge and a personal face-to-face relationship with every other Christ follower in the whole region. They they didn't know each other. They didn't have to know each other to experience this kind of love. But this is why they they were to treat each other in terms of who they really were as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in another place, Paul uses this word in Romans chapter 12. He says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You see, affection and honor, those are part of this kind of love. And in in the rest of the chapter, he goes down and talks about other expressions of this. He talks about hospitality. He talks about meeting each other's needs. He talks about not looking down on anybody else. He says that if you're in a conflict, you get that resolved. All of those are expressions of the regard that we have for each other in Christ. That's why we treat each other the way we're supposed to. I can tell you, I have, um, I've worshipped with Christians in several different countries around the world. It's been a privilege to go and experience that. And I've worshipped with Christians in seven or eight different languages that, I don't, languages that I don't know. Where I'm sitting there, I can, I, oh, that tune sounds familiar, but I have no idea what they're saying, you know. And what I discovered that these are, these are all Christians who not only speak different languages, but... Um, they have different cu- customs and different culture. They, they look physically differently. Some are high, taller, some are shorter, different color of skin and facial features and all the rest. And what I discovered was that the minute I walk into the room and, and, and meet one of those people, we have this immediate bond that knits us together 
even though we're not citizens of the same country, we don't speak the same language, but we knew that we together, we all belong to Jesus together. And so this is this, this kind of love that transcends all the other things, that, that it, it's far stronger than, than who you voted for or what team you root for or anything like that. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but human beings have a hard time getting along. Have you noticed that? Okay. And, and a lot of times that seems to be rooted in sort of our, our identities that we have, our cultural or whatever kind of identities we have, that, that different identity groups have been at each other's throat. It, the whole history of the world is kind of defined by the conflict between people of different identities of different kinds, and that works at a local level, maybe in your neighborhood. It works at a global level as well. But biblically, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how when Jesus went to the cross... He reconciled each one of us individually to God the Father. Our sins are forgiven. And in our, in, our, in our individualistic culture, sometimes we leave it there and just say, me and God, hey, yay, yay, you know. But he goes on in that chapter to describe how not only did Jesus on the cross reconcile us individually to the Father, but at the same moment, he reconciled us to each other as well. And it talks in that chapter about how doing that, he broke down this dividing wall of hostility that kept people from each other. And so the cross is the great leveler. The cross does away with, it destroys the, the reason for distinctions because it creates a transcendent new identity that in Christ that we all belong to. So this is why we treat other Christians with honor and with value and with devotion, and even affection, even if we haven't met them, because we have this higher identity that's a, a greater identity than anything else in the world that might divide us, okay? So that's the first application of this philia kind of love. It's how we look at, how we see the other Christians in body of Christ, whether we actually know them individually or not. Now, the second thing, I said there's another way that it expresses itself, and that is, here, it's philia is the basis for a deep, lasting connection that we share with our closest friends. These are the friends that we need to help us grow in life and faith. And so we said that uh, different from agape, different from eros, that philia is based on these common affinities, common experiences, common affection for each other. We like each other. And because of that, this then becomes the basis for great friendship relationships, okay? Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that every Christian needs to have a deep, lasting friendship relationship with every other Christian, right? That's just, that's impossible. I don't have the bandwidth in my life to have super deep friendships with every other person in the room. But we all need to have those kind of friendships with some people in the body of Christ, and I'm not, also, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian that you can't have friends who are not Christians. You can and you should. Jesus did, because if we only live our life in the Christian relational bubble, then we'll never fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us. We'll, then we've missed out on the heart of Jesus toward people who are far from him. So we need to have those friendships too. But there, there's another le level of friendship that I'm talking about here. Now, I was thinking about this. That came, this kind of was illustrated for me 
with my wife, Sally. Sally's not here today because she just had a knee surgery. She blew out her ACL on a uh, ski slope, had knee surgery Thursday. That, you'll hear that in a sermon illustration at some point probably, right? But for today, I just want to explain why she's not here. But uh, when Sally and I got married, it was been almost seven years ago, I married into this thing. She has this group of friends that they've been tight, they've been close ever since college. Now, you can guess how old we are, and then you can do the math, right? But it's been a long time, right? They were, and what are, there's seven or eight or nine women, and um, they've stayed together, they've stayed close, they live in all different states across the country, and but they get together on a regular basis at somebody's place, or they most recently they just had a Zoom meeting together, and we've been at some of their homes as we traveled, and some of them have been to our home in Utah when they've been passing through. And this is the kind of way this relationship is, is that one of the women, her husband, has just started chemotherapy, and um, he lives near Washington, D.C. And so they set up this thing where every one of us is going to bring a meal, to wash a meal of soup. Once a week, somebody's going to bring a meal to Washington, D.C. Well, we have the technology to do that now. All we do got to do is find, go online, find a restaurant that serves what we want to send them, and, we, and then we order it through Uber Eats and have it delivered to their, to their... We don't even have to be anywhere nearby to do this. So this is the kind of relationship that these women have. And it started because they had something in common, a common identity. They're all part of the same sorority in college. And then it grew because they actually like each other. And they like to see each other and to talk and spend time together. And then it grew because they actually made an investment in it and took the time to, talk, to call and to go be together when they can. And then what I discovered as I, as I learned about this whole thing, discovered that Sally's very closest friends within that group are also people who share her faith with her. They're the ones who are Christians. They're not all Christians, but there are some, and those are her very closest friends. So that's how it works. And I think the greatest, a great example of that in the Bible is the story of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. So let me introduce you to that briefly. It's in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel, David finished talking with Saul. Saul was the king. David was going to be the next king. He'd finished talking with Saul. He met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. So you see, first of all, that in, in a great friendship like this, there's a commitment, right? It started off with just an affinity. They liked each other. That man, that, they, they looked at each other across the room and they, they liked what they saw about the things that they had in common and, and the same age and so forth. They just liked each other, but they built on that by making this pact, this commitment to each other. And, and the rest, the, the next several chapters described, described different ways that that commitment worked out. We, we see there, as you look into 1 Samuel chapter 20, 23, there's a couple, I can't remember which is which, okay? 1 Samuel 20, they, it shows that um, they, 
encourage each other in Christ, in, in the Lord, in, G, in God. So there's a faith element um, to, their, to their friendship. So one time, David was out being hunted by Saul. Saul wanted to get rid of him. He saw David as a threat. And so he wanted to send Jonathan to be the next king. But God had anointed David to be the next king. So David had to go on the, uh, and flee into the wilderness to save his own life. He was discouraged. He was afraid. Jonathan went and found him there, and he encouraged him. That's what friends do. But it says in particular that he encouraged him to keep on trusting in the Lord. See, that, who, who is that friend in your life who does that for you? And then we see in chapter 23 that they took risks for each other. See, again, Jonathan's in a tough spot because his father's the king and his father hates his best friend. And, and so Jonathan took this risk to meet David in secret to tell him of some of the plans that Saul had uh, against David. And so Jonathan went against his own future and he went against his own safety to express, he took these risks to express his dedication, his friendship to, king, to David who would later become the king. Again, who is that in your life for you? And then the book of Proverbs talks a lot about friendship, and I just chose three quick ones to give you more of a sense of a flavor of what this kind of friendship is um, that's built on philia kind of love. So in Proverbs 17, it talks about loyalty. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. See, friendships are loyal even in, in tough times, even in the crisis times. That's a, the person who sticks with you like Jonathan did to David. Do you have someone like that in your life? We see that um, friends are honest. In Proverbs 17, verse, uh, 27, verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You ever had a friend have to tell you the truth? I call that stabbing you in the front. Because sometimes we need, to hear, we need to hear a reality check, right? Sometimes we need to hear uncomfortable words, even difficult, hurtful things from somebody who cares enough about us to provide the correction that we need so that we'll grow. Do you have that person in your life? And then Proverbs, the third one, it shows us that, that friends help each other out. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. He's talking about how you make a sword sharp or a knife sharp, you know, and he says so that, that we benefit each other, that, that my friend benefits me and I benefit my friend as well, and together we're growing because of uh, our relationship together. And so uh, with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to make sure that you understand this one thing, that, that these kind of friendships, that we need them. If we're going to grow in our lives, if we're going to grow in our faith, we need these kind of friends. If you don't have anybody in your life who is sharpening you, if you don't have anybody in your life who is t willing to tell you the truth, if you don't have anybody in your life who's going to stick with you through the trials and the difficult times, if you don't have anybody in your life who's willing to have that commitment and take that risk for you, then how are you going to grow as an individual? How are you going to grow in your faith without those people to help you, to catalyze that for you in your life? Now, let's get practical about it for just a minute as we close. A couple of things. I, I want you to understand, if you're married today, then 
you can see how this applies to a marriage relationship. Now, we talked in the last couple of weeks about how important agape is in a marriage and how important eros is in a marriage. Well, philia is no less important, and a great marriage shows all three of these kinds of love, that there's sacrificial commitment, that there's passion and intimacy, but there's also this sense of camaraderie and affection of shared life together. And so that's an important part of our marriage. Are, are you working on that? in your marriage relationship. But you don't have to be married to experience this. In fact, if you are married, you need this kind of friend, true deep friends, besides your spouse as well. Right? But if you're not married, then what a great opportunity this is for you. What a great provision this is. This is so worth it to have and develop these kind of friends. The problem is, I think, I, in our culture today, it puts so much emphasis on romantic love that I think some of us, when we're single are passing up the opportunity for real deep friendships because we're putting all of our eggs in the love, in the romance basket, okay? Now, if you have these kind of friends in your life, then it's important to cultivate and nurture those relationships. You know, make the phone call. Don't just get so busy. Um, you know, spend some time. Figure out a way to connect with that person in your life. Now, I I'm, I'm bad at this, okay? So I have relied on... Um, hanging out with coffee or getting lunch or something like that to help cultivate a lot of my friendships. This has been a tough year for that. It's hard to, we can't just both like drive through the drive through coffee place and then what, are we going to meet in a park or something? It, we haven't been able to make that work. And so my friendships have suffered this year. And I was in a Zoom meeting um, a couple of weeks ago with a couple of guys through my friends. We were working on a project together and I realized, man, I don't even know what's going on in these guys' lives right now. I need to take an effort and try to figure out how to step it up and make that investment and cultivate and nurture those quality friends that I already have. That spoke just really strongly to me. But also, if you don't have that kind of person in your life right now, then your next step is to go figure out how to, how to make a friend, how to go find those people who can be that in your life. Again, so, much of, so many of us are just content living isolated lives. But this is one reason why it's important to get in a small group. And, and uh, there's some great groups here at Brigham City Campus because then, again, you don't have to be deepest, best friends with everybody in the group, but that group's going to help you find those one or two who can be that kind of friend. And this is great. It's great to be on a serving team. If you're serving together with other people, it provides, again, a relational framework for that to happen. It can happen in a mentoring relationship. I've mentored a lot of people, and they're not all my deepest, most profound friends. But a deep friendship can come out of a mentoring relationship at, at times. Those are all ways that you can maybe make that next step and figure out. I mean, you know, uh, find some ways to invite people into your home. Maybe invite a group of people to do something. You can still do, you know, some of those events with social distancing even. You don't have to be completely isolated. It just might take a little bit of a, a, a learning curve about how to do it now in the way things are. But you can go and, and find people that can be those friends. I remember, I bet your mom told you this, right? Did your mom ever tell you? If you want to... Make a friend, you got to be a friend. In other words, philia is a two-way street. Don't just expect people to give it to you if you're not giving it back and looking for ways to give it to other people as well.
And so today, I guess I hope you can see how each one of these three kinds of love is important in the Christian life, and each one of them has a role, a place in the Christian life. I don't want you to leave philia out of that equation today, because this is how we're called to treat every other Christian with this sense of, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, I love you that way. But it's also how we learn how to treat our our friends and cultivate those deep friendships that we all need and, and why we need those. And that helps us understand that. But ultimately, I want you to understand that this is part of your relationship with Jesus. This is part of your faith, that Jesus went to the cross not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to each other as well. And that's why we can have the friendships that we need to grow in life and faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your wisdom and for empowering us by your Holy Spirit to live your way. And as we want to honor you, God, in our relationships, uh, we just come today and say, God, okay, um, yeah, there's ways that we have messed this up, God. There's ways that I've neglected friends that I need to call. And I, and I haven't been appreciative of the value of those relationships that you've given me in my life. And Father, there's things I realize, oh, you know, they've been making all the investment. I haven't been making much investment in that. And Father, oh, you know what? These other Christians, I've let other identities cloud out our identity that we share in Christ. And I put politics above that, and I put other, you know, ethnicity above that, and other things above the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I've just settled for living alone. I've just settled for, because I like it my way, and I like, you know, just kind of doing the things that I like to do. And so, Father, I pray you'd reveal to each one of us what our next step is from you, and that you'd show us, God, what do you want us to do with this truth today? How do you want us to experience this in our lives? And we trust you to empower, make us able to do the thing that you've set upon our heart to do today. We want to be obedient to you and honor you. And we want to see you cause our relationships to flourish so that we can follow you the way you designed us to. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory.